Good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? Good. Welcome back. Who all went back to school this week? No one. All right. Who all had kids who went back to school this week or family members who went back to work this week? Yeah, I ran into somebody in the hall this morning. I said, hey, how are you doing back to school? And he said, oh, I no longer work with the school. And I thought, I know that, but we're all still affected by it. There's something that happens in the church every year that I love uh, in the fall where everything gets back and running. Everybody comes back from holiday. Everybody comes back from summer. All the new fall things are starting up, and we all kind of start moving uh, together. And everybody's rested from the summer, so um, it's one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, if you've been away on uh, summer uh, vacation, welcome back. Uh, this summer we've been going through a sermon series uh, on 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul is essentially writing uh, to the church at Corinth. Uh, many think it's his second letter, uh, that 1 Corinthians is actually uh, preceded by another letter, and it's uh, more of the same that we see from Paul in other situations where uh, he, he gets a community together, he gets them built up, he gets to start working, and then uh, he leaves to go off and do something else. And um, as always happens, uh, as many of you know from summertime, when there's no order or structure or supervision, everything kind of falls apart. Um, so there's been many opportunities uh, for light and gentle correction, and this morning is no different from those. So um, I joked with David this week. I said, every time you seem to put me in the, uh, in the role to preach, it always seems like Paul's saying something somewhat corrective and negative. <laughs> and he said, well, if you haven't noticed, that's pretty much most of First Corinthians. So anyways, that continues on this morning. So um, fear not, there is positive parts of this message as well. Um, but we'll start with the scripture. If you could bring it up, and if y'all don't mind standing and join me as we'll uh, read it together this morning. We're in First Corinthians, First Corinthians 14 and beginning in verse 26. What should be done then, my friends, when you come together? Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at more three, and each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let them be silent in church and speak to themselves and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to someone else sitting nearby, let the first person be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is a God not of disorder but of peace. All in all the churches of the saints. Women should be silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak but should be subordinate, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only ones it has reached? Anyone who claims to be a prophet or to have spiritual powers 
must acknowledge that what I am writing to you is a command of the Lord. Anyone who does not recognize this is not to be recognized. So, my friends, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. This is the very words of God. Please be seated. All right. So a lot going on in that passage this morning. Um, I joked uh, with Dinah this week that um, if you're going to bring up prophecy and tongues and women speaking in church, you might be able to frighten or anger a majority of most churches in America. So here I am. Um, And actually, if we could put all those together in one slide and put it up in the background, that'd be great. Sorry for that. Um, So I'm going to break this up into uh, two parts. One looking at um, prophecy in tongues and one looking at uh, women in church. As you all, I know you guys are super quick, so you might have noticed, we have a lot of female leaders in our church. Um, So don't worry about those words if they made you really mad or scared. Um, Fear not. Um, But Dinah is, this wasn't intentional that Dinah is not preaching today to tell you that women can actually preach in church. Um, We actually read this this week and realized we've been doing it all wrong. So Dinah won't be coming back. Um, So I'm your guy, no pun intended. Um... Dinah is out with Daryl, their parents' 50th wedding anniversary. Um, So it's always nice to thank the people that have gone before, the people that bless you. So if you ever happen to see Daryl or Janet Smith around, Daryl's dad is Daryl as well, so we call him Big Daryl. Thank them. As you know, Daryl and little Daryl and Dinah are huge gifts to our community, and a lot of that is because their parents, for those of you that know them, know how much a gift they are. So... 50 years of marriage for them uh, celebrated this weekend. So uh, we'll start with the less contentious of the two parts of our scripture this morning, um, prophecy and tongues. And there are many different uh, groups of the church or histories of of how people read scripture and how they look at this. Um, You might have heard of uh, people from places like Dallas Theological Seminary or other such conservative seminaries around the nation that uh, believe in the approach that uh, the gifts of the Spirit were kind of for the beginning of the church and then kind of slowly tapered off and we don't really use them anymore. Um, one of the things that we talk about here is that faith is a conversation and we take part in the body of Christ in a conversation And I don't think anyone is going to argue with the idea that the number one call by God to us in all things is love. And he is the greatest example of that. And we're always going to seek to be in loving relationship with people. My favorite example of that uh, is uh, John 13 at the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus includes Judas, who he knows is going to betray him, in the Last Supper. Um, I think that's a beautiful example of God's love for us all. Um, I think we can all identify with Judas in different times in our lives, um, probably like me sometimes this week. So we all screw up and we all get it wrong, but God is a God of love and seeks to love all people and invites us to join him in loving the same. And this is fortunately not dependent on us agreeing, because let's be honest, 
if any of us know that we're married, we know we'd never agree on everything. So this isn't even an option. So um, all that to say, there's going to be different perspective, perspectives in the body of Christ, and we always want to be honoring another, and we always want to be loving and respectful to another. And there's a level of maturity at which we don't have to agree to get along. Um, one of my mentors talks about, are you choosing to be right or are you choosing to be in relationship? And actually, our premarital counselor brought that up. And I, I thought, I asked the question, could we not do both? Um, but a lot of times there gets to be a point where you have to choose one or the other. And um, being right, I don't think, is really an option and ends up being really lonely. So um, first of all, in the background of all this, I'd invite us just to be open and loving and honorable and charitable to one another. Um, I think one of the wonderful things about our church is that our senior pastor, David Mcnitsky walks that line very well himself and as an example. So he will say he will be open to a wide conversation. He will present to you what scholars say. And then sometimes, if you're really specific, you can get him to share what he specifically believes. But a lot of times he likes to hold that open-handed and allow us to come to that conclusion ourselves. Uh, the other thing I'd tell you is most people in their lives grow and progress, hopefully. And um, so this happens with theologians as well. And you'll see that over time, their beliefs, in a sense, grow and develop. So... Um, I know some folks in our culture tend to want to look at the Bible very literally, and I totally get where that comes from. Um, I think some of us want to have things nailed down and be really specific and just tell me how it is so I can get it right. Um, there's a scene from the American president where he's talking about uh, this. this uh, the other candidate that's running against him keeps kind of bullying him from these uh, podiums and speeches. And uh, his staff has to get him to finally stand up and share something. And he talks about America as advanced citizenship. He said, guys, this is hard. Like, this is advanced citizenship. This isn't always straightforward, cut and dry, black and white. And we're having to make decisions on things. And it's messy and sticky. And I think uh, David invites us to a similar way to approach the scriptures and approach the life of living out our faith. So I'd say a lot of times this stuff isn't easy, but I think it's it's worth it. Uh, so now all those disclaimers gone by. Um, I would share that in my opinion, the Holy Spirit, um, who we would generally call as one of three persons of the three-part triune Godhead and all that kind of thing, which the Trinity is in in essence, I think, more confusing to me than it is clear. Um, but at the end of the day, it's we have a monotheistic God who's one but shows up in three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I tend to be in the camp that believes the Holy Spirit is a very active part of the body of Christ and still moves today and wasn't just active in, through the gifts and things like that in the early church. Um, I'd say most of Christianity uh, believes that. Uh, I know some that have a different take on that. I totally respect that. Um, when Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit uh, in his different letters, he talks about you know, Ephesians 4, Romans 12. We talked about it a couple weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 12. 
he talks about gifts and it's so funny to see how he talks about these gifts because we'll read certain ones of them and we think yeah administration or wisdom or the gift of help service yeah like you know they come in every week and help serve and we're totally comfortable with those but then when we get to the ones that we haven't been exposed to or don't understand we kind of skip over them uh if many of y'all are familiar um some of the founding fathers uh, would would kind of cross out certain passages of the Bible and just remove them themselves, um, what they thought was appropriate. Thomas Jefferson is famous for having this Bible where he'd just mark out the parts of it that he wasn't comfortable with. Um, I think that's kind of dangerous. Ironically, we're going to kind of do that today when we talk about women speaking in church. But um, there's a lot that Paul says about the gifts of the Spirit and how they move, and um, this is certainly one of them. It's, I find it really funny that people are terrified by speaking in tongues and prophecy, and Paul devotes essentially an entire passage to just those two things and how important they are. So I think it's hard for us to just pass up. Uh, the other part I'd say is I have been blessed to have personal experience in these areas. Um, so one of the mentors of our church in development who are pastors and friends of ours came in the early 90s and, in a sense, really introduced our church to the Holy Spirit in a new and powerful way that I think most of us had only read about in the Bible but not really experienced personally. And you can see this all throughout church history where people are raised in the faith and exposed to certain things, but it's not till another time in their life that they experience specific parts of the scriptures in their life and they see that. And... Um, if you're like me, you had a time in your life where you grew up reading about God and hearing about God, but not really interacting with him in a real and personal way. And for me, that changed uh, when I was 17 years old, and it changed through a prophetic word. I had a mentor that was praying for me, and uh, she brought up something that she couldn't have known about me, and it was an encouragement about some things that I did in ways that I served the body. And it was the first time that I knew that God was speaking to me. And it was the first time that I knew that someone was on the other end of the line. And and in an instant, God was no longer a far-off concept that I thought about or read about or heard other people talk about. Um, I knew him personally. And there's a great verse in Jeremiah 31 where it says, um, you will no longer say to your neighbor who is God, um, for, for you shall know him um, yourself. And I think this is what the Old Testament is talking about, of, of God coming to us in the form of a man in Jesus. But then when he leaves, he says, it's better that I go. So I'll send you the helper, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. And he will guide you into all truth and he'll connect you to my heart and you'll do greater things than I. And there's all these promises that Jesus has about the Holy Spirit. Um, but I think like Paul is highlighting for us in these passages, one of the ways that the Spirit shows up is through prophecy. So what does this mean? What does this look like? Um, I would say the way that I have been taught um, about the prophetic is that it is, like most things, um, it can be used well and for good, and it can also be misused and lead to harm um, in the same way love can, in the same way um, any other kind of gift in the body or anything we use in life. So I'd encourage us not to throw out the baby with the, ba- the bathwater because we're afraid of it. We don't know about it. And um, fear not, I'm not going to ask you to stand up and uh, start prophesying in the service, or, nor am I going to attempt to do that myself. But 
I do want us to be a little more exposed to this gift because it is coming up in the context of the book we're going through, and I don't think it'd be fair to just pass it by. So what is prophecy? Well, the easiest way I know to explain it is it's us sharing God's heart for other people. It's us encouraging other people in the things that God does and who he is and in who they are. Um, I have a friend who taught me a lot about uh, the gift of prophetic, and she has a great way of doing this without people even knowing that she's doing it. She essentially just sits down, tells them how much God loves them, brings up different scriptures um, that you can go and read and kind of proof text that way, and uh, she does it without even saying words like, I feel like God is saying, or you might want to try this. She'll just, she'll just encourage the person and build them up and give them words of affirmation. This, in my opinion, is the most straightforward, simplest, safest way to start wading into what I think Paul is referring to as scripture. So when you, when you see that word or you hear that said about prophecy or prophetic or prophesying, I'd encourage you just to switch in your mind. If that freaks you out, just think encouraging words from God. Um, some folks in the prayer ministry are very active in these gifts. Um, it's not something where we come in like a Nostradamus and say, here is what's going to happen in so many such years. or And we actually um, put some healthy constraints around how we approach it and what we do uh, to, to, to make that a safer space. Um, but if, if, you've ever, if you've never been exposed to it, I encourage you to ask me or ask someone you know who has. I'd say it's very eye-opening, it's very encouraging, um, because God is this wonderful, loving Father who has all these wonderful words of encouragement um, for us, and he wants to share those with us, and I think one of the ways he does that is prophecy. All right, so prophecy is kind of the easier one of these two. Uh, The next is speaking in tongues. Many of us have probably heard this idea of speaking in tongues as speaking different languages so people could hear. A lot of that comes from the Pentecost scene in Acts 2. Oh, they're speaking in different tongues, and everybody from these different regions over the world can understand them. And that is certainly one interpretation of that. Um, Many scholars believe other places that uh, the gift of tongues is referenced. It's more of a personal prayer language. Like if you think... Uh, with me from Romans where Paul is talking about utterances uh, that the mind cannot even understand. Our spirit groans out and calls out to God. Uh, it's kind of this private prayer language where we get lost in our thoughts and where our spirit is communicating with God's spirit in a way. You'll see when Paul talks about this in First Corinthians 14, one of the reasons he addresses this is he wants these gifts that are brought to the body to be used for the building up of the body. So if I'm showing up with my private prayer language that people can't understand, then it's not, it's not necessarily going to be as edifying as if I show up with an encouraging word of love for another person in the body. Um, so Paul, as you see in this scripture, starting at uh, verse 26, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. So that's always his focus and how the gifts come together. Um, I do believe in the gift of tongues. Um, I do believe it sounds like gibberish. I do believe it is very edifying for a person when they're using it. I do believe the scriptures that it should be used when it's used in public settings um, in order and, and, a, and an interpretation is with it. 
Um, I have been raised in these gifts, and I'm happy to answer questions if y'all have them. I have been in prayer meetings where uh, the gift of tongues is used, and we pray for an interpretation, and we receive one. Um, It's really fun. It's kind of different, but it's really there. Um, One of the commentators I read this week for this passage, he said, uh, he kind of comes to the conclusion at the end before he addresses women speaking, and he says, So, in conclusion, Paul really wants us to be more aware of the spiritual gifts. Uh, He even says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 14, Pray and eagerly desire the greater gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Um, So I'd encourage y'all to be open to know that those gifts are there. And in a safe space, when you're comfortable, stick your toe in the water and take the next step. Is that okay? All right, great. Everybody responds. Um, so now, now that we're all over that difficult issue, um, women speaking in church. So, uh, the, the nice thing about having all these up here together is, oh shoot, I don't have the numbers. Um, well, if you're, if you'll go about halfway down with me, if there's anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home. You notice there's a, it starts with a parenthetical as in all the churches of the saints, there's a parenthetical. When the parenthetical is usually there, it's usually that the people that put together the Bible weren't totally sure if this really fit with the original manuscripts. Um, the most notable one of this example is the end of the Gospel of Mark. That's the passage where he gets into snake handling and that kind of stuff. Most scholars believe that part was added on later, not by the original author. So this parenthetical you see in the middle... Um, that's the same kind of thing. Most scholars believe, or I should say many scholars believe that this is an add-on. Um, so we have old manuscripts. Not all of them have this in there. And some suggest that um, some, auth- some writers of the text who are recording it for us imply that it is an addition. Okay. So for some of y'all, we might be stepping into a minefield and your head feels like exploding because it's like, what? If it's in the Bible, it's like God came and spoke it and then I wrote it down. Um, So as we all know, the Bible is really old. Much of it was passed down through oral tradition. Uh, A lot of the New Testament is actually one of the, the easiest books in history to affirm and confirm. Uh, We have a ton more copies, early manuscripts of it than other books in history, all this kind of stuff. And there's lots of facts and data we can give you if you like that. I don't really like to go into that because at the end of the day, I think it's always a step of faith anyways. But in my opinion, it helps to know that scholars aren't sure if this really fits and if this was really part of the original. Um, And some of the examples of that would just be uh, how it flows, Um, If you notice, if you actually take out the parenthetical part, the passage actually makes a lot more sense. Um, The ways that he addresses, he goes from addressing the Corinthian church to addressing all churches, which he hasn't been doing in this letter. The way he references the law is not really consistent with how Paul usually references the law in other parts of the text. Um, So there's a lot of things where where, uh, scholars think this doesn't add up. The biggest thing of this is just context, context, context. So uh, um, as we all know, when 
When Jesus uh, is baptized in the Jordan River and then the Spirit drives him into the desert, um, Satan shows up to tempt him. And what does Satan tempt him with? But with Scripture. Um, So Satan shows up quoting Scripture back to Jesus. What does Jesus do? He counters with Scripture as well. So there's this reality where um, if you give me an argument you want me to make, I can, by taking Scripture out of context, probably make it for you pretty well. Like one of the jokes I like to make, if y'all are comfortable with me making a joke about scripture, is uh, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. Well, when Jesus shows up at Peter's house and his mom's got a fever, Jesus heals her of the fever and then she starts waiting on them. Well, I make the joke that Jesus shows up to heal the lady and then she like cooks them soup and all this kind of stuff. So he's showing up kind of to be served, right? Not to serve. So you can see the obvious humor in that, but um, it's a kind of a twist of the, of the scripture. The other things we always want to do is be holding the scriptures openly and lightly, doing that in the context of community and conversation, as we talked about before. We want to look at the context it was written in, um, like these these writings are really old and they come from a totally different part of the world in a totally different culture and they're translated through a totally different language. So there's a long journey for these to get here. So then the next question I always get from folks is, do you believe that scripture says that scripture is the inspired word of God? Yes, I do. Um, but I also think uh, that my wife is an inspired way of God speaking to me. And she doesn't always get it just right. And God works through us, who are broken people, to bring his message to the world. So um, I think we need to hold the text with a lot of honor and respect, but also in the context from which it comes. So um, when you see those parentheticals in your Bible, there's not many places, but um, be alert. The other thing I'd like to highlight is how Paul deals with women in other situations. He, even in this letter in 1 Corinthians 11, um, he's talking about women's role in church and he's having them actively speak and prophesy and pray and do these things and interact um, with men. So it's, this would seem like an abrupt, um, Contradiction to those easier word, earlier words. We also see numerous examples of Paul highlighting the role of women in leadership in the church. We also see Paul sending a woman as a leader to the church in Rome um, to be engaged. So that's kind of the proof texting context of how you can get there, and and what some of the um, what some of the scholars bring up. The other thing that I like that they bring up is just the context in which we interpret the reality of the scriptures. So one of the scholars I read talked about uh, slavery and how a lot of people would use scriptures that talk about slavery to justify slavery and how we've really moved to a point of understanding that as a very um, bad application of those texts. Um, The other part of that is a lot of the texts when you see slavery in the New Testament can be interpreted a lot of times more appropriately as a servant. So um, it's a difficult text to undergo. It, it needs to be taken in a lot of context and a lot of honor, and some people see it differently. Uh, that is a difficult thing I'd share uh, for me personally. I don't have many hot-button issues in my life, and this 
uh, happens to be one of them. Um, I have, uh, my wife and I were traveling this summer and I was, we were traveling this and we stayed with some friends of hers that I hadn't met before. I didn't even know they were believers. And, uh, literally we show up just before dinner and literally in our first hour of conversation, we somehow get to the reality that they go to a church where they believe women can't be teachers and there's not many things that really trigger me, and this one totally does. Um, and I behaved. Uh, my wife's nodding, so I behaved. Um, I was nice, but I asked them questions. I didn't pound them. Um, but I highlighted things to ask them. So I asked them questions like, because uh, the wife was really the spiritual leader of the household for a long time. She grew up. Uh, a lot further along the faith, and the husband openly admitted that. So we, we talked about that some. I asked them if they were allowed to vote for a woman for president, um, and they said, yeah, that's not necessarily a spiritual thing, which I would agree, disagree with. I think God sees everything as spiritual. Um, I asked them the effect that it has on women in their community, and then uh, the effect that it has on young women in their community. Um, I don't think that is a good way to treat our people. And if I look at the overall context of Scripture and how God treats us and how he says we are no longer Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, I have a really hard time when people use this to silence half of our population um, there's many examples throughout Methodism where women are leaders and are active instruments in the body of Christ. Um, Susanna Wesley is John's mother, and she uh, is recognized for much of his development in the faith and much of his theology. There's situations where John is out itinerating and Women are speaking, and he hears about it, and he comes back, and his mom says, wait, if this is from the Spirit, you don't want to stop it. Um, I think we need to take a long, hard look at how we treat other people and what we use to oppress them, and I think it's very, very dangerous to use Scripture to exclude and oppress and I think it's really careful. We need to be really careful about honoring and respecting. And um, I have a wonderful mother who has taught me a lot about a lot of things. And I have six very bright, very strong, very learned aunts in my life that could probably beat most of y'all up <laughs> and certainly win a debate and are probably more loving uh, than most in the world. And I would hate for us to be a culture or a faith community that excludes those types of voices from us. I don't think we can truly be the body of Christ 
without female voices. And while I think it's important for us to respect other people's views, especially when we disagree, it really concerns me how this damages women and especially young women. And I want to take the opportunity to say to any women and especially young women out there and especially parents of young women, the things we say to them matter. And the ways that we treat them matter a lot. And I have a lot of friends that opt into churches that exclude them from leadership. And I think that that is very hard for me personally, and I assume it's hard for them. I encourage you who are parents of young women, especially fathers of young women, to let them know what they are capable of and how they can contribute. Because we have enough problems in this world, we certainly don't need to lose them. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you call us even to hard things. And that you are uh, here with us and in the midst of these hard things. Father, I pray for our openness to your spirit and to the many forms that it takes, uh, even and maybe even especially when we don't understand them and when they scare us. And Father, I pray uh, for the women in our community that have gotten us here and that continue to sustain us and to help us. And I pray for their gifts and their callings. And I thank you, Lord, that this is a community that sees them um, as leaders and then sees them as people to be heard from and sees them as full participants and contributors in your body and in your kingdom. And Father, I pray that this would be a place of healing for those who have been hurt uh, by these words. And I pray, Lord, that we would not be a people that misuses your scripture to hurt others or to limit. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of healing and a God of patience and that you lead us to love. So come, Holy Spirit, come in power.